Hello, I'm Moses. I'm Carrie. Welcome to the Menocast. Today we're having a conversation with current president of Mennonite World Conference, Jay Nelson Crabo. We're going to have a conversation about war and peace. How do we make sense of situations like the one happening right now in Ukraine? How should the church respond to violence in the world? Thanks for joining us. Carrie, as people heard in our intro, Ryan is not able to be with us today. He's not feeling well, and mm-hmm. we wish him all the best, but really excited for this conversation. And uh, yeah, good to see you again after what seems like a little while. Yeah, you as well. Well, you know, I I, I I know this as a fact because I preached in your church a few weeks ago. <laughs> true, <laughs> true. <laughs> that both you and us, I don't know about Ryan and his church, but both of us, uh, we are kind of following along with the Leader Magazine worship resources for Lent. And, yeah. you know, we're recording this episode uh, kind of in the in the season of Lent. But for both of us, our churches have been exploring what it means to seek God's way uh, through the text and looking at different moves, right? Moves uh, from fear to compassion or security to generosity, those kinds of moves that we've been making to find ourselves along God's way. And, you know, I think most of us are, are trying to figure out what it means to to live a good life. And, and for Christians or followers of Jesus, you know, most of us are trying to figure out what God's way looks like in our time. And, and it can be really challenging, I find, uh, when it comes to situations of conflict. You know, so if, if listeners don't know, I grew up in the Baptist church. Uh, so I didn't grow up Mennonite. I, I'm new to the Mennonite world. And one of the things that really drew me in was the fact that the Mennonites had a peace stance or or seemed to at least for the most part be pacifist. Yeah, I grew up um, being taught basically just war theory, right? That in certain situations, uh, under certain conditions, it was right, uh, the right thing to do to, to kill somebody, right? Or, or to fight mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, that always kind of seemed unsettled to me, right? Like for, from the words of Jesus and, and just scripture in general, is this seeking God's way, right? Like is trying to justify violence and justify war, is that seeking God's way? Um, and then I found the Mennonite church and, and it seemed like there was a new uh, perspective, new theology that breathed life into me and answered some questions that I've been wondering for a while. But Carrie, I don't know if, do you ever have conversations in your church when you ask the question, well, what would you do? <laughs> you know, mm. what would you do if someone walks into your house and has your kid and is harming them or your spouse or, you know, like that kind of hypothetical? Yeah. I, the, I've i talked about those things so many times. Has that ever come up for you? Or yeah. are, is Ottawa Mennonite just like a, you know, accepting of pacifism <laughs> <laughs> kind of church? Yeah. Great questions. I mean, I, I remember having those conversations in high school, going to a Mennonite high school, you know, like the, the teachers, like, what would you do? And the students are like, well, maybe I could shoot him in the foot or maybe I could like do something else, not like totally harm them. And the teacher's like, oh, you know, guys, like that's not really pacifism. Um, but I think these questions bring to mind, like, what is pacifism for us in North America, those of us who are comfortable who we could almost refer to ourselves as armchair pacifists because for many of us it hasn't shown up in our lives in a really big way. Like that hasn't been challenged. I do remember having a conversation that like, if you are not pacifist, 
to the, you know, full degree, maybe you would call it, are you still a Mennonite? Like, is that a defining Mm. factor? And is that the thing that can make you a person of Mennonite faith or not make you a person of Mennonite faith? And, and I don't, I don't know that I have answers, but I think that we have to continually teach people and ourselves that Jesus's way does not make sense by the standards of our world, right? By the standards Mm. of our Mm -hmm. world, it makes sense to value a loved one's life to the point that you would harm someone else. But by Jesus's standards, right, the value of human life is different. A stranger's life is more valuable. That's how we need to treat it, right? And so that's something I'm constantly struggling with and and trying to teach our youth and our congregations to think that through, that the rules are different. Well, you know, I, I would say that I have a number of people in our church or even not within our church, kind of know people within the Mennonite world who ask this question mm-hmm. um, and and have already worked out that if pacifism includes not doing anything to protect mm-hmm. someone you love, then maybe they're not pacifist and right. maybe they're OK with that. <laughs> Right. But the the thing for me, like you say, you know, these questions, these hypothetical questions are like about a loved one. You know, the hypothetical is never like, what would you do if a stranger you know nothing about is being attacked? You know, it's always yeah. what would you do if your husband, your wife, you know, that kind of thing. And then it's like, well, of course I would protect them. I would fight for them. Right. That kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one issue with the question. The other one is just that it's it's hypothetical. And for me, I've never faced it. I've never faced it. And then we get to situations around the world where people actually do face it. And then I feel like I am not equipped and I am not um, worthy might not be the right word, but I'm not the right person maybe to speak about this, right? When there are people whose homes are actually being invaded and are actually being bombed. Um, and so, I mean, one of the reasons why it's great to be in conversation with other people, right? Other people around the world, um, uh, other Mennonites too, who are going through different life situations. And I mean, this is where we're heading to today, right? We want to have a conversation um, about what's happening in Ukraine uh, and the invasion of Russia in Ukraine and how that has affected um, people there and Mennonites there. And how we make sense of that, like how do we make sense of uh, a conflict happening on the other side of the world uh, where we are connected, um, but it still feels distant. And, you know, how should they respond? How should we respond? Uh, What is the Mennonite way? Or, you know, going back to our Lent theme, like what is seeking God's way in these situations? And so we are so privileged today to have with us a a special guest um, who I think is really well positioned to speak into the situation, or at least to to give us some guiding thoughts uh, about this. So today we are welcoming Jay Nelson Crable, um, who we will just call Nelson uh, from this point on. who has worn many different hats. Most notably, he was the president of Anabaptist Mennonite Biblical Seminaries uh, for a long time. He was also a pastor uh, for a long time, is now retired from those things, but is still the president of Mennonite World Conference. He's also author and scholar and all those things. So um, Nelson, thank you so much for joining us and, and welcome into this conversation. Thank you very much, Moses and Carrie. It's really a privilege to be here. I responded to your invitation 
to this podcast in part because you are pastors, and I'm always interested in how biblical studies and theology intersect with the life of real congregations. So I bring greetings to you from and to your listeners across Canada and beyond from Mennonite World Conference. Mennonites in 58 countries uh, greet you today. Thank you so much. And, you know, I think many of us know in local Mennonite congregations that we are connected, you know, in our broader denominations and then also around the world. And, and one of the amazing things about Mennonite World Conference that I always find is, is that reminder that um, most Mennonites don't look like Mennonites in North America, that there are more Mennonites in the global south uh, than there are <laughs> anywhere else. So, um, yeah, does that hit you sometimes, too? The median median Mennonite in the world today is a black African woman. Uh, mm. So the median Mennonite looks nothing like me. <laughs> yeah, which is great, right? The diversity that we have within the broader Mennonite church, not only culturally, um, but also theologically. Um, and, and you, as the president of Mennonite World Conference, I'm just wondering for our listeners, they, they might not know, what is the president? Who is the president? What does the president do? Yeah. Cesar Garcia of Colombia is general secretary. Uh, he actually administers the programs or the staff of Mennonite World Conference. We have small staff. That is, uh, it's the equivalent of something like 13 or 14 full-time people, but even those mm -hmm. jobs that are some part-time and many volunteers around the world. I function essentially as a volunteer. I chair the governing board of Mennonite World Conference. And then as I'm able, I do teaching, preaching, uh, some of the fronting for Mennonite World Conference in North America and beyond. I think it's wonderful, the work that you're doing um, through Mennonite World Conference. And one of the reasons why we contacted you was because of some open letters, which um, which you had written uh, on behalf of, you know, I, I'm not sure if that was more beh on behalf of you in your position or on behalf of kind of Mennonite World Conference as a whole. Um, but those really kind of captured uh, us as we were at the same time seeing what was happening in Ukraine. Um, now, you've talked about some of the connections that we already have with Ukraine. And of course, there are Mennonite churches who are part of Mennonite World Conference in Ukraine, as well as Russia. Um, but there's also a, a historical connection uh, with with those of us here in North America and the church in Ukraine. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Your listeners in Canada will know this history much better than me, because for quite a few of them, it's their own ancestral history. But I can do a thumbnail version of that. Catherine the Great invited Mennonites from, I believe, uh, Netherlands and Germany to come to settle in what was then called the Ukraine. It was a province of southern Russia uh, in uh, what was it, the 1780s, uh, I believe, that many of them would have moved there. And they came as, as farmers um, and developed the land there. And eventually Mennonites had, as I understand it, several hundred villages in Ukraine. What we think of now as Eastern Ukraine is primarily where they were located. Uh, and Mennonites flourished there. And uh, when the Bolshevik Revolution came in the uh, early 20th century, 
the landed people, the nobility or the, the wealthy landholders were targets of a lot of uh, the frustration of the peasants and Mennonites were part of the landed class. And uh, Mennonites suffered uh, severely in World War, that is in the uh, Bolshevik Revolution, and then also World War One. those two, uh, World War One coming first, and then the Bolshevik Revolution. And then uh, in the 20s and 30s, uh, in the aftermath of that, as uh, the Russian society moved into Soviet structure and Stalinism, uh, there was even more severe persecution. Now, um, that story is a terrific story of suffering. I mean, it's just uh, horrors beyond what uh, one can comprehend. Some Mennonites started to leave Ukraine already in the 1870s when the uh, Russian uh, government began to talk about or threaten the conscientious objector status and the self-governing status of the Mennonites who lived in Ukraine. Uh, and Mennonites began to emigrate to the United States and Canada. And there's a particularly interesting sort of Elkhart, Indiana connection there because the pastor, founding pastor at Prairie Street Mennonite Church in Elkhart, Indiana, was a man named John Funk, who had a vision for uniting Mennonites across North America, including uh, both U.S. and Canada. But also, Funk thought globally, and he became aware of these Mennonites in Russia, had their uh, status threatened and wanting to leave. And Funk ended up working almost as, I don't know if you'd say a travel agent or a facilitator for thousands of Mennonites who came into the United States and they would come across the states on the main railroad, which came right through Elkhart within a, a mile mm. of the church. Uh, and they some 15,000 of them stopped in Elkhart and the Prairie Street Mennonite Church congregation would host them sometimes for hours, sometimes for weeks. Uh, they were here. And then they moved on to Kansas and Minnesota and, and Manitoba, this kind of a corridor there in, in the plains. So that uh, history is, is uh, something that I became aware of as, as a Swiss Mennonite. I learned about these Russian Mennonites who came in, uh, and many of them joined the General Conference Mennonite Church. Uh, those who didn't emigrate while they could uh, to 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 uh, Western Europe or or United States or some I guess to Latin America, uh, those who stayed behind suffered um, suffered terribly, and the uh, many of the Mennonites were killed. Uh, simply were were uh, were had their lives taken. So that's a sad story. And then my understanding is that after the fall of the Soviet Union. Uh, starting about 1990, I believe it was an initiative primarily of the Mennonite Brethren uh, to, to work on mission efforts in, in Ukraine. And today there are about 20 or maybe 24 congregations, some of them small congregations, but a total of about five or 600 people is my understanding 
who would identify as Mennonite brethren, Mennonite in Eastern Ukraine. Now, the letter that that I wrote to um, Patriarch Kirill of Moscow and all Russia, the letter that I wrote to him on February 24, just a couple of days after the invasion began, uh, that is a letter that was addressed as a leader in one global body, the Mennonite body, to the church leader of another very substantial church, you know, international church body. So I'm, I have not been part of writing letters to political leaders. This letter was not addressed to President Putin. Um, it was addressed to a, an appeal to a fellow Christian to say, brother in Christ, can, can we talk about this or can we uh, communicate about this. Nelson, I am wondering, can you say a little bit for those who may not know um, who Patriarch Kirill is or the influence he has or what he's been up to during this time? Yes, thank you, Carrie. The, uh, uh, His Holiness Patriarch Kirill is the head of the Russian Orthodox Church, which in his uh, understanding, would it territorially include Russia and Belarus and Ukraine, especially. Those would be the, the, the primary areas of his uh, understanding. And uh, he, uh, his church is part of World Council of Churches. Mm. Um, so the Mennonite World Conference has many contacts with World Council of Churches. Uh, we're not formally members of that, but but we uh, have uh, many uh, contacts there. And um, it was through that connection of particularly Cesar Garcia, our general secretary, would have met the patriarch. Uh, I'm not sure that he knows him, but they, they, they would have had reasons to have contact in, in Geneva at the uh, World Council of Churches offices. Um, and my understanding of um, the patriarch Kirill is that their sermons are streamed weekly, I think, live on television in Russia, and that they've been very supportive of the invasion and the war. I think that's right. You know, the letter that that I wrote to him on February 27, and, and by the way, is a letter that I vetted with a few other Mennonites mm -hmm. in Europe so that it wasn't just me speaking. I, I wanted some ownership of this, but the letter came in under my signature and I wrote, as Russia unleashes weapons upon Ukraine, we call on you as a Christian leader in Russia to speak and act boldly for the gospel of peace, regardless of any rationale given for the attack upon Ukraine. This is an immoral action that Christians everywhere must condemn. And a couple more paragraphs, and then I end by saying we must obey God rather than man, as the apostle Peter declared when he was on trial. Today, Christians on both sides of this confrontation are at an hour of trial. Will we give allegiance to God's kingdom instead of bowing to the gods of nation, empire, and war? God grants you courage to be a peacemaker as Jesus taught and modeled. Hmm. And then your question, Carrie, I believe, was uh, about what the patriarch is saying to the Russian people. Mm -hmm. And the response that we, the World Mennonite World Conference got back from my letter 
came from the patriarch's representative in Geneva at World Council of Churches. So we never heard directly from the patriarch, although the uh, representative at Geneva said that the letter had been passed on to him. I would expect the man was swamped with, with mm. correspondence that day. <laughs> but what impresses me or at times depresses me about the patriarch's preaching and his writing to his own people is reflected in a sermon that he preached on February 27, the same day that I wrote the letter. Mm -hmm. uh, and he, in his sermon that day, said, what we need today is unity, unity with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. He goes on to say, God forbid that the current political situation in fraternal Ukraine, which is close to us, should be aimed at ensuring that the evil forces that have always fought against the unity of Russia and the Russian church gain upper hand. God forbid that between Russia and Ukraine lies a terrible line stained with the blood of brothers. So what do you what do you make of that response? Like it it seems like it could be both in support of or against like the response, like unity is such an interesting thing because unity could be uniting the Russian and Ukrainian people, uh, you know, in favor of Putin's actions. It could be uniting them against that. It's pretty clear that it's, in, it, I should say, it is implicit in the patriarch's re, uh, preaching and in a sermon he preached a week later it's at least implicit that he supports this invasion of Ukraine uh, because this is going to be the way to bring safety and unity to the Russian people. Right after I wrote my letter, uh, I got a response from my brother, Ron, who has worked all his life in conflict mediation uh, and teaching conflict studies and has been United Nations diplomat and has worked at uh, politically and theologically at conflicts in multiple countries. And Ron wrote, uh, contacted me, and then we spoke a while, and he fully agreed that this invasion of Ukraine is immoral. Like, there's no justification for it. But Ron said, you really have to begin to think, what's the rationale of the person who appears to be the enemy. How are they thinking? Well, you start looking through the patriarch's uh, responses. For example, his March 10 letter to World Council of Churches, where he says, as you know, this conflict did not start today. It is my firm belief that its initiators are not the peoples of Russia and Ukraine who came from one Kievan baptismal font and are united by common faith, common saints and prayers. But he says, the origins of this confrontation lie in the relationship between the West and Russia. By the 1990s, Russia had been promised that its security and dignity would be respected. However, as time went by, the forces overtly considering Russia to be their enemy came close to its borders. Year after year, month after month, the NATO member states have been building up their military presence, disregarding Russia's concerns 
that these weapons may one day be used against it. Um, now, I don't think that remotely justifies what's going on in Ukraine. I, I'm not, I, I wouldn't want to go to Russia's defense in an indefensible action. But my brother Ron's point, which I've really pondered, is how, how is President Putin thinking? How is the patriarch thinking? Uh, what's their rationale? And is there any way to speak to those concerns rather than just say, uh, how dare you do this and you know, wag our fingers at them? Yeah, that, that's very interesting because I think if in other situations you see that as well. You know, my so my background, my my mother comes from Germany and my dad from the Philippines, so I have a mixed background. Both my grandparents, my, my grandfathers, uh, fought in the Second World War. My dad for the Germans, my my sorry my 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 mom's dad for the Germans, and my dad's dad through the Filipino army for the U.S. So they fought against each other, basically. Uh, um, but whenever we heard stories from my grandpa, from my opa in Germany, talking about how things came to be, and there was a lot of um, acknowledgement that that what you know what Hitler did, what what um, Nazi Germany did was wrong. But he always explained how it got to that point. You know, starting with the First World War and what life was like. And the things that actually Hitler did for the German people like him uh, in bringing a, a prosperity and bringing hope and, and all those things that, that, that then, you know, later led into the Second World War. Um, and, and I think hearing from my Opa, again, gives does not in any way justify the rationale or justify the means by which, you know, a nation would do something like what Germany did. But at least it gives the understanding that there's something more behind that that led up to that. And I think I, we're seeing the same thing here, too. There's something that happened before right now that is causing uh, this invasion. I think what you're getting at there, Moses, uh, would point to what I would see as a pivotal part of Christian peace witness, and I think particularly as pacifists. What do what do pacifists do? I don't even like the term pacifist. It sounds too political. I'd rather talk about being peacemakers. Uh, so let's talk about being peacemakers. If you wait until the bully is coming at you, ready to clobber you, uh, or is clobbering you, and then say, well, it can't be pacifists now, you know, like this is impractical. Uh, the question I ask is, what have you been doing in relating to that bully or responding to that bully in the hours or days or years be before this crisis happens? Uh, and uh, my query would be, you know, is there any way in which the actions of NATO in Eastern Europe, right up against border with Russia, has the West, in fact, um, acted in uh, ways that simply were taking advantage of Russia? And that's not that's not a statement of fact. That's a question. You know, were we were we taking advantage of a situation where Christians should have spoken up and said, uh, maybe we have to. Uh, try to do this in conversation with the Russian people rather than waiting until the crisis happens and then say, well, we better get our guns. 
We're going to take a quick break from our conversation with Nelson to give away another great resource thanks to Common Word and Herald Press. For this episode, we're giving away a copy of the book, Fight Like Jesus, How Jesus Waged Peace Throughout Holy Week by Jason Porterfield. This book is published by Herald Press, and if you want to see what other great books are coming out from Herald Press, go to heraldpress.com. If you would like to win a copy of this book, all you need to do is like our Facebook page. That's right, go to our Facebook page, at the Menocast and like it and you will be automatically entered for all our giveaways. Now Common Word is much more than just a bookstore. It's also an amazing resource center where you can access and borrow thousands of Christian resources, many of them from the Anabaptist tradition. And here's the best part. If you are affiliated with the Mennonite Church Canada or Manitoba Conference of Mennonite Brethren Congregation, or if you're a student or staff at Canadian Mennonite University, you get to borrow items for free. You can visit them at their location on the campus of Canadian Mennonite University in Winnipeg, or you can request items to be shipped to you online through their website, all for free. But even if you are not a member of one of these constituent groups, you can still get a membership to Common Word. For an annual fee of $30, you get access to all loan resources with free shipping anywhere in Canada. And remember, just head over to Facebook, like our Facebook page, and you'll be automatically entered to win a copy of Fight Like Jesus. Now let's get back to the conversation. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's great that being peacemakers um, is not just about how we respond in conflict, but how do we respond even when conflict isn't there yet, but it's building up. Um, but then when it builds up and it overflows and it explodes, um, how do we make sense of that? M- maybe shifting the conversation a little bit now, uh, you had a letter also to some of the Ukrainian Mennonites This was uh, on February 24th. You had a pastoral letter regarding Ukraine. In that letter, you you had mentioned one of the um, uh, Mennonite leaders, Roman Rakuba, uh, who is the leader of the Associate Mennonite Brethren Churches in Ukraine. Now, actually, a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to speak to him uh, through a young young man who was translating. um, And we had just a short conversation just to get a sense of what things were looking like there um and a few things that i found very interesting one was in the house there was just hustle and bustle like there were there were people there because they had taken in a lot of people who had fled from other cities and you could just hear it that there was the house was full right and Mm. and um I also heard about their own families, like Roman's own family who had fled to the borders and other women and children who have left, but the men uh, were needing to stay or, or were not allowed to leave. And they, they, so they were there. But there were a couple of things that Roman said that really stood out to me. One of them um, was that it felt like they were living as the early church uh, in the sense that they were just everyone was coming together they were meeting in homes supporting each other sharing their resources you know like it just that that was one of the interesting comparisons that he made and then the other one that he said that i also thought thought was interesting is that he said this felt like the end times mm. <laughs> you know to them i i imagine especially it just felt like this could be it 
uh, whether that meant just for themselves or, you know, referring to, you know, the coming of Jesus, that kind of thing. It just felt like this, this is huge. And this is so, um, so yeah, difficult what they're living through. Um, and th so those things really stood out to me. And those who are experiencing, um, you know, their, their homes being uh, bombed or their cities being bombed or invaded, uh, loved ones being killed, loved ones having to flee. What does peacemaking look like in that kind of situation? From the comfort of my office in Elkhart, Indiana, I'm I'm loath to give, you know, big ideas of what people in a, in a terrible conflict should do. I can say what I hope I would do in, in those circumstances. Uh, and that is, I would hope that you and I and all of us would be peacemakers leading up to a situation of conflict. And that in uh, if, if actual violence breaks out, we would serve like Roman Rakuba and uh, quite a few other Mennonites and people of other denominations who are collaborating with with the Mennonites or working together to be support and food and spiritual nurture uh, and safe shelter for people who are caught. Whether or not I would take up arms. Uh, I, mean, I, I hope I would not. I think Jesus calls us to lay aside the sword. So I uh, hold to that. But I recognize that Mennonites who lived in Ukraine in the early part of the 20th century, when uh, Nestor Makhno's bands, bandits were, uh, uh, anarchists were really wreaking terrible devastation in Ukraine. There were Mennonite villages that uh, formed what they call them self-shoots or these uh, self-defense self units. Um, whether or not I would join that, I, I don't know. I, I hope I wouldn't, but, but uh, I think until I'm actually in that situation, uh, I'm, I'm uh, loath to, to pass any judgment. But it's clear that in Anabaptist history and in wider Christian history, there have been thousands who have held to that nonviolent stance and, and went to martyrdom doing that. You know, that, that is a strong legacy going back to that over-familiar image of uh, the Anabaptist pulling uh, his pursuer out of the ice uh, in Holland uh, you know, that that image stuck in my mind as a child, that that's what you do to enemies. You 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 go back and help them. And um, so I think we are called both to be nonviolent and to serve and to work as peacemakers. And then Jesus says, uh, if you follow me, you must be willing to take up your cross. And we have to be prepared for that as well. But the social pressure to rise up and defend by whatever means must be absolutely enormous in, in that situation. And so my daily prayers uh, go up for these sisters and brothers in such difficult circumstance. And I think our social media celebrates that, right? I think we've seen that um, people applauding farmers and regular citizens in line to get weapons or to sign up. Um, and so we're working against many different factors there.
you're right, uh, Carrie. These these pressures, social pressures on us, are enormous, uh, and the call of Christians is to show compassion and love to friend and and to enemy, uh, and even as we grieve the enormous losses of Mariupol being essentially wiped off the map, uh, uh, thousands of, of Ukrainians dying, you know, we, we have to grieve the, the, the death of Russian soldiers. The, the, the Russian army has had estimates range from what 7,000 of what 40,000 soldiers have died. I mean, it's, it's enormous. Uh, and every one of those it has a mother or a wife or you know, people who love them. Um, a lot of these soldiers, I think the last thing they wanted to do was be in a war and, and go go into Ukraine. I, I, I don't get the sense many of them are very enthused about it. Um, so I'm really sad for that loss of life. Yeah. Well, you know, when it comes to, again, we, we don't quite know how things are going to go and um, what exactly the right thing is but maybe apart from say the political side of it you know what what might we see as a peaceable outcome um, that way I wonder if you could speak to um, the maybe the church side of it right like you've written this letter to Patriarch Kirill uh, other uh, churches other church leaders have done the same uh, he's responded in certain ways. W what do you think needs to happen in order to get a peaceable outcome from that perspective, right? Like, what would you actually hope that that um, Patriarch Kirill or other church leaders in Russia would would do? What what can they do? I would hope Patriarch Kirill, uh, who has close relationship apparently with President Putin, would visit his office and say, Mr. President, uh, this war is not worth the price. You know, we, we you know, I, I don't exactly expect him to do that. Um, but maybe thinking in terms of the Mennonite world, um, Moses, the, the beginnings of Mennonite world conference are reconciliation after war. Uh, Mennonite World Conference first gathered uh, in Basel, Switzerland in, in, in 1925 on the 400th anniversary year of the beginnings of Anabaptism. And part of the motivation for that gathering, as I understand it, is Mennonites of Europe and beyond had been divided by World War I. And uh, surely, there were Mennonites in the armies on both sides, uh, literally shooting at each other. Uh, at least their armies were literally shooting at each other. And so understandably, there was distrust and, and deep wounding in that kind of conflagration. And Christian Neff of Germany, Pastor Christian Neff and, and, and some others said, we need to bring together Mennonites of Europe, and if they want to, from beyond. And they called what became a Mennonite World Conference. It was that, just that. It was a conference. It was a gathering. It wasn't an organization. It was an event. Um, and there was 
reconciliation. And uh, one of the preachers, I think, Hokema from the Netherlands said, uh, we have to choose between the canon and the cross. You know, which way does the church engage the world? Uh, and I, I, I found that a, a brilliant uh, image of choices we have to make in how we engage the world. Are we going to go with the canon? Or are we going to go with the cross? And there was reconciliation healing, and then more wounding in World War II, and more separation, and Mennonites afterwards got together for some painful conversations at another Mennonite world conference. Um, the Christian churches of the West will need to do that with Patriarch Kirill, I believe. I, I hope he stays in the conversation and that we treat him both with respect and with uh, frank exchange. And <clears throat> depending on how this, this conflict continues, what might you say to a, a Russian Mennonite or a Ukrainian Mennonite about what it means to love each other in conflict, um, uh, to find reconciliation uh, and healing and forgiveness, whether or not Russia pulls out or whether they don't? Like, how, 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 what are some of the first steps to actually get there? I think it begins internally with uh, our own spiritual struggle not to hate uh to to uh be immersed in a faith community that recognizes our primary identity as being the kingdom of god uh, and i don't mean just where we go when we die i mean this reality of one bond of people who follow the lamb uh the world over and uh cultivate that um I think we would probably have to recognize that people on both sides of a conflict like this get caught in social and political and spiritual forces that are tsunamis and, and get swept along and, and do things in conflict to each other in effect that we would not do otherwise. Um, I think there will need to be repentance on both sides. Um, and again, I don't mean to accuse Ukrainians to Russians. I'm just speaking generically about what happens in conflict, that, that horrible things happen. Um, even though we confess Jesus as Lord, sometimes we uh, follow the canon instead of the cross. Uh, maybe we did this in more of a roundabout way, but like, Arthur, what are like the, the stories that you're hearing out of the Ukraine right now? Like maybe some that maybe we haven't heard in the news or something like that? My correspondence is not, uh, you know, really up, up to date in that, other than that I know Mennonites are very busy um, doing whatever they can to transport people across to Poland or other places in the West. Uh, Mennonites are helping to provide shelter, uh, bomb shelter space in any buildings they have. You, Moses, I believe, saw an image of the living room, maybe, of uh, mm -hmm. Pastor Rakuba. I, I also uh, had a bit of a live exchange there and, and saw that, too. Um, and uh, so Mennonites are hunkering down and uh, I think probably are very, very exhausted like um, most of the people of Ukraine must be with uh, electricity and food. 
in, huge inflation, if there is even food and uh, other supplies, medicine, if, if it's even available, the cost is, is high. Uh, uh, they are appealing to uh, Christians, people of the West, and specifically now um, Mennonites to contribute. And I believe Mennonite Central Committee is the channel for that. Mennonite World Conference really isn't quite the channel for that. We don't have the structures to to handle the flow of money like that but i think mcc does um and so uh, mennonites of ukraine as far as i can tell are really eager to link with us and glad that we are talking about this and haven't haven't forgotten them that was one of the things actually with talking with um pastor roman that he he said a few times just tell our story like let people know our story. Um, and I think that's powerful that we are able to, um, yeah, be the ones to kind of uh, let other people know what's happening um, in this conflict and how people are responding. You know, what are you, Nelson, telling people in um, your circles? And I'm thinking specifically of us, you know, Canadian and American Mennonites who are removed from the conflict, are seeing all of it, you know, we don't have the capability of writing letters to Patriarch Kirill. Um, is, is there anything that you would say to us, to, to Mennonites in America and Canada, about what it means to be peacemakers or anything we could do or how we could pray? What would you say? Well, you mentioned prayer. That's That spiritual change of our own hearts to, uh, is important that we not get caught up in the hatred and russophobia, as uh, the patriarch said in, in one of his sermons, uh, that we not get caught up in just the hatred of Russians, that we remind ourselves that we are global citizens in the kingdom of God. We are not, first of all, Canadians and Americans or Portuguese or whatever. We are, first of all, uh, citizens of, of the kingdom of God. Uh, we can be generous in our giving. The, the financial needs, are whatever happens, are going to be enormous. Already our, our mind-boggling needs with all the displaced people and refugees. Um, just today, the Facebook, uh, Mennonite World Conference Facebook posting is inviting Mennonites to take a picture of their congregation holding a sign that says mm. in Ukrainian, you know, we are praying for you. Mm. I remember being in Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, I believe it was maybe early in 2018 or 2017, visiting the war-torn zone where, by the way, there was a Mennonite from this community here in Indiana who laid down his life, a young MJ Sharp, was, was assassinated in his peacemaking work there in, in Congo. But the, the small Mennonite World Conference delegation I was with met with refugees, or they called them displaced people. Uh, and there were tens of thousands of these displaced people from the war zone, conflict zone of Congo. And we heard stories that would keep you awake at night, just the, the horrors of what these people went through. And their big call to, to us as Mennonite World Conference was tell our story. 
don't don't forget about us. You know, the mere fact that you came here and talked to us and heard our stories is huge. Of course, Mennonite Central Committee also was there. Uh, uh, so there was material help coming in, but that the spiritual help representing the global Mennonite communion, that the, the, the global church was there represented that way, clearly meant a great deal to these people. And to, in the end, we have to say salvation belongs to God, not to us. As the book of Revelation says, you know, salvation belongs to God. We, we uh, ask, why do the nations rage? And we pray that uh, God would tear open the heavens and come down, as the psalmist says, you know, intervene in this crisis. And in the meantime, we're going to do all we can to serve and help and pray and love and love even the enemy. Thank you for that. I think it's important to help people who are kind of caught looking at the situation from afar and knowing how to think about it or knowing how to feel towards certain people. And and definitely I can see a lot of people struggling in terms of, well, how, what do you mean? Yeah, I can show love to Russians who are here, uh, you know, not engaged in the conflict, but what do you mean show love to our enemies? Like, I think helping people really think about that is a huge step towards peacemaking. Um, even if we're not involved in the conflict there, you know, it, it is kind of orienting our minds to like, we, ha we all have enemies, right? Like in different ways. So how do we think about the enemy uh, in a loving way? Yeah. And we have to not think of quote, the enemy here as a monolithic entity, uh, and I'm reminded of that. I have a niece who is Russian. She's uh, an attorney uh, from Moscow with her family in, in Moscow, who uh, lives, who's married to my nephew, and they live in the United States now. Uh, and she deeply grieves what her country is doing. You know, uh, my senses would have no sympathy for this invasion. And we have to recognize there is resistance within Russia and, and, and including quite a number of Orthodox priests and others who at the risk of their lives, not from the comfort of an office in North America like me, but for, at the risk of their lives are speaking up and saying this war must stop. Um, so we don't, we, we don't hate the Russians. I hate what's happening in Ukraine. I, I hate the concept of invasion and it's, it's morally wrong, but we separate that action from the people who also are children of God. Yeah. And can you say one more thing towards that, that, that if this conflict comes to an end, can it come to an end without retribution? Or, or how do we not long for retribution for the enemy? Well, it's completely natural to, to seek revenge. But you look even just pragmatically at what revenge meant, say, after World War I and the Versailles Treaty that utterly humiliated Germany and made it destitute and a pariah nation, which opened the doors for Hitler's, you know, national socialism and, and the horrors that came in the trail of that, somewhere, somehow, Christian love needs to be part of breaking into that cycle of 
violence, revenge, uh, more violence, more revenge, back and forth, which started with Cain and Abel and has never stopped. And Jesus stepped in and said that this is stopping. And and we we follow Jesus, even though it could cost us our lives. Well, coming back to Jesus is a good place for us to 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 end it here, I think. And just want to say thank you so much for for taking the time to join us for this conversation. Um, for for people who might be interested, I, I'm sure you're going to be very busy with the uh, assembly coming up in Indonesia. And then in the fall, you're starting a year of scholar at, in residence at Bethlehem Bible College on the West in the West Bank. Uh, so a few big things coming up for you. And uh, hopefully people are able to engage with you in those ways or in other ways. Um, but really appreciate you joining us for this. Yeah, thanks, Nelson. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Moses. Unfortunately, Ryan couldn't be here, which I think he would have really um, enjoyed this conversation too. Uh, so now it's just you and me to wrap up this episode. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> I, I think, you know, um, Nelson's work has, has, you know, I've read some of his books and, and things like that and always appreciated and appreciate now too that there is a group um, like Mennonite World Conference and, and someone like Nelson who can actually write a letter, you know, to yeah. a, a, the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church. You know, that's huge for, for someone in a local church that, you know, or just kind of everyday people. We don't know quite how to address these situations or what we can actually do other than seeing what's happening and having our own opinions and sharing those, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I'm really happy to be part of this global body you know i i've never been to a, a, a like an assembly like what's going to happen in indonesia um but i really want to go like i i think it's so cool that we're connected on this global level yeah i think like body is the right word right you're like sometimes we get so into our day-to-day lives and like our congregations and then you like step back and you have your the other churches in your town or city and then you step back and you have like your conference that's like somewhat provincial and then there's national and then there's Midnight yeah. Church USA and Midnight World Conference and you're like for yeah for a church that's not like super hierarchical in its structure like there still is these like larger bodies that like do things that we can't do and have clout where we don't have it right. and that's pretty cool like if you yeah. google um, patriarch Kirill, like you're like whoa like yeah <laughs> there's a lot of oh i don't know the word but there's just a presence there's a presence in that style of church and that style of being a church leader that like so foreign to us right yeah yeah i i don't know if you could get <laughs> patriarch Kirill on a zoom call to talk about stuff like this but we we were able to talk to nelson which is amazing um which too even his holiness the patriarch right. Kirill, you know, like just the, 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 uh, the name there, that's pretty, um, <clears throat> says something, I guess, about the, the church hierarchy, but anyways, you know, talking about the, the, the body, right. Being connected, um, having this conversation with pastor, uh, Roman or Roman, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to say it, but having this conversation with him and being able to see, uh, the house that they were living in and hearing some of the stories of of what is happening, uh, I think was so interesting. The other person who was there that was uh, 
a young man um, who was translating mm. and he was in his 20s. You know, and I, I imagine myself in my 20s going through something like this. He was separated from his family, um, but he was kind of part of the church that Roman was also a part of. And so he was in the house and he was doing what he could also to help. Um, but neither of them, actually, Roman, who's probably in his 50s or so, and, and this young person in his 20s, seemed to be overly fearful. Hmm. Um, I don't know. There was there was a strength. There was a hope. Um, you know, they, they definitely had not given up. You know, they were taking in people who were fleeing. They were doing all they could to provide food for people and uh, security for people. Um, and... Yeah, it it was just being able to kind of get a window into that was um, very interesting. <laughs> it's interesting because I think when we talk about the early church, like it's something we, we, we romanticize maybe a little bit. We yearn for, we yearn for that like grassroots, down to earth connection that doesn't have all the rigmarole sometimes that our churches have. And yet the times that early churchness comes out is in times of deep struggle and deep suffering and deep pain. And so we want, we want the early church, but we don't want to, the situations that often make that happen, right? Right. That's very true. I mean, the persecution uh, that the early church went through, even that is, you know, is, is not something that we can, um, that I can imagine, you know, even though there are some Christians today in North America who say that they're being persecuted, um, for reasons that I would say, no, that's not persecution. But um, the kind of persecution where you are not free uh, to gather or to believe what you want to believe or to worship who you want to worship, those kinds of things, um, I can't even Im imagine that. And, and maybe, though, that is the context through which, you know, some of the sharing of life that we see in the New Testament happens. Mm -hmm. You know, like, like the church in Ukraine now, right? Because of what they're going through, they have no choice but to huddle together in the same houses, to take people in, to share everything they have in common. Um, you know, and and we in our kind of safe and um, affluent society, we have the luxury to not have to do that. You know, I can mm -hmm. live a very separate life from other people in my congregation because... <laughs> oh man this is a luxury gonna... <laughs> of independence yeah yeah i was gonna say because we don't really need each other but that... <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get in trouble that... for that one yeah i'm gonna get but, in trouble but in for the that. same way on such like a just a basic basic level of food clothing and shelter right yeah yeah like we can be independent of our churches in that for the most part i mean as long as they keep us on staff for now but um yeah there really is a privilege of independence there yeah so mm -hmm. carrie i'm curious for you then like what what does this look like you know are uh, has anything changed in your own practice or in your church's practice because of the conflict um or is is this you know does this kind of is this just added to the many other global conflicts going on around the world yeah, it's tough because I, it has been called out in the media, and I think there's a lot of truth to it, that there is a racist element to how we have approached this conflict, that it has seemed to get more airtime, more heartfelt response 
more action and care than a lot of other wars that we have seen. And as a pastor of a church that has people who have fleed all sorts of violent situations in all sorts of countries, um, how do, how do I care for those people who have experienced violence coming out of a country that isn't European? Um, and then have them here, you know, from our church, like, we're so concerned about Ukraine. We're so worried about Ukraine. Like, how do we allow one to not diminish the other? How do we allow one prayer request not to diminish other prayers that we have been praying for, other countries we've been praying for? So I've just been trying to put myself in other people's shoes. What does it look like to be someone who escaped Afghanistan, Mm. listening to my church talk about Ukraine in a way that they've never talked about Afghanistan? What is it like to be someone who escaped the Congo and listen to people talk about Ukraine? And so I, I'm struggling to to hold all these things together and just like love and pray for all these things and to make yeah. sure when we mention Ukraine in our church, we're also mentioning other countries that have ongoing conflicts, but it can't always be done. And there is right. a time and a place to pray for one and talk about one and not the other, but... Yeah. That's where I'm at, I guess. There have been many in our church who have, you know, said or written emails uh, in the midst of this conflict that we need to pray. Like we, we, we got to pray as a mm-hmm. church. We got to pray for what's happening. Um, we need to support. But those same people, though, are ones who would send emails at other times, too. Uh, I, I've yeah. noticed that, right? Or often we'll say we need to pray for our leaders, our global re- leaders, the the struggles, the wars going on around the world. Um, and, and so I, I think there is, yeah, there's a good balance. And I think a good balance that we can find, right? As as Christians as and as churches who want to be peacemakers or who want to pray for peace, to not single out the conflicts that, you know, um, really touch us because we have some kind of um you know cultural connection or something like that but that we really are looking globally uh, and maybe that's a place for mennonite world conference too right like we mm-hmm. um you know are there other letters that need to be written or you know things like that and yeah i wish i could go to indonesia to be part of the gathering there to really hear from global mennonites that would be amazing yeah um yeah but yeah yeah i i again i'm I'm glad that there are uh these global connections that allow us to address issues and um i don't know i i uh come back to that question of you know what would what would you do and i thinking about being a ukrainian or being a Palestinian or being a Syrian or, you know, like whatever conflict Mm -hmm. we might put ourselves in. I still don't think I have that one figured out. (laughs) I know. And you know, one question I often ask too is like more than what would I do if I was there? But if I was there, what would I want other people to do? If I was in Roman's house, so uncertain of day to day, what's going to happen? Like, what would I want the pastor in Winnipeg and Ottawa to do? And I, I think yeah. I would want them to do more than pray. And so I'm yeah. struggling with that. Like, do unto your neighbor as you would like done unto yourself. And there's always an opportunity to donate to the Red Cross or to I Central Committee. But, but more than that, like, I would hope people would do all they could to help me. And that is not what I'm currently doing. 
So I, that's something Ooh. I find a challenge and I, I struggle with. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're calling yourself out there, Carrie. But Ugh. I feel the same way. No, I I feel the same it, way it's too. Scary. Um, but in yeah. conversation again with with Roman, like one of the things he emphasized was, please share our story, uh, which yeah. is also something that Nelson talked about when he was in the Congo, right? Like just share the story. the The fact that you care enough to tell the story of what's going on um, is something. Um, maybe right. one of the steps into how we can help those who are going through conflicts. Well, I know that time just goes so quickly and we're going to have to wrap it up here. But thank you so much for joining, Carrie. It's been great to have this conversation and great to chat with Nelson as well. I know Ryan would have loved to be here too, but hopefully we'll see him again next time. Thank you for listening to The Mentalcast. You can find us at thementalcast.com. Listen to episodes on our website or subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you heard and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Meadowcast. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions. You can contact us through our website or at themeadowcast at gmail.com. We would also like to thank Common Word for partnering with us to give away awesome resources and our advisory group for guiding us along the way. Lastly, I want to thank my co-hosts, Carrie Lane and Ryan Duick, for the great conversations. I'm Moses Falco. Until next time.